0: Welcome to Defense Unicorns, a podcast for mission-focused innovators. We educate, inform, and provide mission heroes with DevSecOps, cybersecurity, and organizational transformation stories from the world's leading problem solvers. I'm your host, Rob Slaughter, and we're excited for you to join us on this journey. Welcome to the show. On today's show, we have Chris Benson, a six-year Air Force veteran and one of the co-founders of AFWorks. How are you, Chris? I'm doing well. How's it going, Rob? Good, good. So so first off, for everybody listening, can you take a second and tell us a little bit about your background? Yeah, sure. I grew
1: up in, in Colorado and then went to MIT from undergrad through PhD. I studied mechanical engineering and technology and policy. While I was there, started a company and sold it and worked at a venture capital firm. And then went out to duty in the Air Force in 2004. 14, where I first started working at the F-16. So I was a developmental engineer. I started working at the F-16 SPO or assistant program office. And then I got pulled up to work on ICBM, which is where I worked for a few years. Do very, very intense major acquisition paperwork. So was starting from AOA through, through milestone A. And, and then they, I a kind of a nice reward. They sent me over to Europe where I was assigned to the U.S. in the Hague, where I was for a couple of years living in Delft, the, the Netherlands, which is one of the most beautiful places on earth. If you ever get a chance to go there, you should go there. And then I came back to the Pentagon where I got to work with all the folks standing up Bathworks and with, with Beam and Steve and Dave Harden and Joey and Austin and Jake and Jorge. And a whole bunch of other folks that I'm sure I'm missing out and then left the air force in 2020, did a short stint at, at MITRE, which I had a really good time at. And then went to a commercial drone company
0: and then recently started another company working on digital engineering. Wow. That's, that's, that's quite a lot packed into just a couple of years. One of the things that, that you're obviously very well known for is managing the AFWERX open topic, as well as a lot of participation in the accelerator program, you know, but I don't know that a lot of people know where that all got started and, you know, sort of the origination story of basically the accelerator program.
1: Yeah, no, so the the accelerator program started at Squadron Officer School back in 2016. They used to, I don't know, they might still have it. They had a program called Think Tank. And I remember they had, that. you know, we were sitting there in the big, they called it, they affectionately called the Big Blue Sofa or something like that because they would bring you into these rooms and you would sit and listen to it for a long time. And they said, all right, we got this idea we and want, we want you guys to make an X-Prize for the Air Force. And I had a background, I had you know, some background into venture capital. I'm familiar with, 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 you know, kind of early stage startups or loosely familiar. And we got assigned on a team together, me and I think there were eight or 10 other folks, including Steve Lauber and Austin DeLorme. And uh, we decided that while they were asking for an X-Prize, we decided that actually what they really wanted was a technology accelerator. And so we, you know, in, in our wise wisdom of, of, of being junior captains, we were like, no, no, we're not going to answer the, the question. That the, that the one star who at the time General Goodfellow was a crusty Goodfellow with the Commandant at the time. And he was the one who picked the, the idea. And we decided we weren't gonna actually respond to that question. And little did we know that we were getting ready to give our first presentation to him. And apparently he was just getting ready to rip us a new one for not answering the questions they had put, but we worked, we worked really, really hard and we gave our first presentation. And he said, yeah, yeah it was actually really, really good. And I remember we had this, we, we made like a little video. You can go find it on YouTube. I don't know if there are show notes or anything like this, but there's a cringy, cringy video that Steve and Austin and I made at SOX <laughs> it's really funny, but it kind of explains what our pitch was. Anyway, well, the General Goodfellow loved it, and I had worked with Brad Feld, one of the founders of TechStars, a long, long time back, and uh, he, he really liked the idea. And We said, "Great! If you really like the idea, let's, let's actually go do that." And so, after our after our pitch, the next day, I, I I sent an email to to Brad and asked General Goodfellow if we could meet. And then the next day, I was in the the One Star's office with my personal MacBook Air. On a on a Skype call with Brad Feld and uh, and General Goodfellow, and we said, "Yeah, let's actually go make this happen." And you know, we kind of went down like down a long road through a lot of folks who really really helped us along the way. I remember. One of our first phone calls was over to Enrique Oti at DIU to uh, just pick his brains on some of those things. So he also helped us kind of give us some of the the, the thoughts there. And then we, at the time I was working for, well, then it was Colonel Melissa Johnson, Mojo, and now she's Ms. Johnson up at the RCO. So, so she gave us a whole bunch of help and, you know, we we had a whole bunch of help to find the ideas we went through it and we just, we went and uh, we ended up briefing something like 40 or 50 general officers in the next four months which was great. And almost every one of them, you know, either gave us the nice nod and said, good job. But we had most of the acquisition general officers actually told us it was a really bad idea. And definitely we got told no. In fact, one of our really, really big meetings was with a three-star at AFA. We, we prepared for, for, for probably three weeks for this one meeting. And we thought this was, you know, we got an in from his exec and, you know, we were all excited about it. And they literally, they literally told us to our faith that it was a bad idea it had been tried before and it wouldn't work. And so we, uh it was demoralizing, but we picked ourselves up and we kept moving forward on it. So eventually we got to the point where we found enough people to believe us. So I think there was, eventually we had three folks out of those probably 40 or so GOs that eventually believed in us and that's how we got the funding to actually run the first accelerator cohort, which was, uh, which was, uh I think it was the first one was started in January of 2018. So we met in June of 2016. We ran the cohort in January of 2018. So it was a month and a half of just slogging part-time, the getting told no time after time after time. And we, I don't know if we're a lot of users, but we paid for our own TDYs sometimes because we
0: didn't have tremble funds. And it was just, you know, it was it was, it was a, a labor of love, really. Yeah, So so started by a group of, you know, Air Force captains at, at SOS, you were told to do A, but then you presented B and, and it actually went well. And then General Goodfellow opened the door and it was mostly bad. You consistently talked to people and it sounds like most of them rejected it. Almost all of them, right? I mean, (laughs) three out of 40, right? So what is that? That is less than 10%. No. Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about those rejections. What gave you the confidence? to hear no consistently, but still press the...
1: I mean, so I, it I came from, I think it came from my background having worked in startups before where it's like, you know, you can go, you can go do 40, 50 VC pitches and most of them are not going to invest in you, right? And that's okay, right? It doesn't actually matter, right? Most people don't need to understand your vision, but you just need one person to say yes. And so I think that it comes from like, I've, I've done enough sales and I've done enough fundraising in the past where like, you know it's not a big deal if they say no there's plenty of other people and in fact the air force one of the one of the big things that i learned about the air force and that we learned about the air force by doing that was the fact that like how just how non-centralized and non-hierarchical it really is right everybody has their own little plot of money that they can use and you know you kind of just got to pitching up folks and to keep refining it and and keep going on there. And, uh, you know, so it was one, that background, but two, it's also just like our team. It, it came down to like a core of Steve Austin and I really did most of the pitches. There were some other folks th- that helped out along the way. And, 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 you know, so don't, don't think it was just us, but it was also, that it was fun. We enjoyed spending time with each other. So even though we were kind of paying for our PGYs, it wise, you know, don't like fun, it was like a vacation we had, you know, it was, it was just fun hanging out with the folks. And so. I would say, you know, if I were like parting lessons learned to other other folks, it's like make sure that you really, really like the people that you're doing these things with, because often Steve, and I are still really good friends, and it is now what is it six years later, and you know, it's it's, it's really a, a great thing.
0: Yeah. So talk to us a little bit about how you go from SOS and you launch the first accelerator, and then just a year or two after that, the concept of that accelerator now becomes the foundation of what ends up being, you know, a multi hundred million dollar innovation effort. So can you, can you talk to us about how something like that makes that type of innovation? Two ways. One is leverage
1: ideas from other people. And two is try to pivot things that currently exist. Don't try to create new things, right? So steal ideas and pivot things that already exist. So I'll tell you what I mean by that. So. First off, so the, the accelerator is a really fun thing. It was a it was a monumental effort to get it started. The good thing is we got really lucky uh, and had, had General Wilson, then the Vice Chief of Staff, who really became a big supporter of ours and agreed to help make this, you know, once his support came in, it really helped. Dr. Will Roper, when he came in at SAP AQ, also was a huge supporter going through there. That gave us enough top cover to really get the second and third years of the Air Force Accelerator program funded and executing. It would also gave us the the ability to go get Steve and I and Austin the ability to work on this full-time, right? So we've been working this part-time with full-time, I mean, I mean, Steve would go deploy to wherever he was in whatever continent he was on and he would just be, you know, dialing into, you know, whatever random calls it is, you know, in, in middle of some, you know middle of nowhere, wherever he was, and then Austin deployed it at some point as well, and so, the idea of being able to focus 100% of the time was incredibly helpful. That's what really gave us there. I was lucky in my my assignment overseas. General Wilson was able to pivot it to allow me to focus it on international defense innovation. right? And so I went over to Europe and I was in the Netherlands and one of my jobs, which was probably the coolest job I will ever have, was literally just to go around to all of our partners and allies, see their defense innovation unit, and talk to them and see what they were doing. And then. Write up reports on that and then send them back. And so, one of the things that I found is I went over and I met with the DAFSA group, the Defense and Security Accelerator at, in the UK, and uh, which I think Jake Singleton, who was on your show before, he worked in the UK doing the same program that I was while I was in Europe. But they had had what was called the open topic. And I was like, huh, that seems like a really interesting idea. And so, literally, some of the text that is still in the open topic language today was copied verbatim. From the DASA open topic from the UK back in 2017. But going back to that, so that, that was the idea of stealing, right? The other thing is so steal good ideas. So I so we didn't really or I didn't come up with it, you know, we the idea was already there. We just took it and, and enrolled with it. So that's point one. Point number two is leverage what is already there. So I mentioned that we were going around and talking with all these different GOs, and everybody was basically telling us no and saying, Oh, that's cute. That's cute, Captain Like, I'm glad that you have an idea. But One of the folks who was certainly our most difficult pitch was General Polakowski with the time was AFMC Commander. And man, she was incredibly thoughtful. And within the first 15 minutes of pitching our idea, she had found all of the, what we kind of realized were the kind of biggest holes in the idea, which was saying, great, what you've done now with the accelerators created just a, a, you know, a longer bridge into the valley of death, essentially. Right. So you need to make sure you link it up with something else that exists. And she said, hey, how about, you know, how about you go work with the AFRL chief entrepreneur, Ryan Helbach, and the SDIR program head, Dave Shady, and try to see if you can't link this up with SDIR. And, I, and to their credit, I mean, so that was that was the first thing that, you know, we had we kind of always thought about SDIRs because I had managed some in a program office before. But uh, to their credit, the, you know, the Dave and Ryan jumped right in and were fully on board to really help us out. And so um, I would say that the the core of the idea for the Open Dumping came from a combination of the British and General Polakowski and then was the result of a lot of hard work from, from folks within AFRL and, and specifically the SBIR office and folks really leaning forward to make these things work. And then really just pivoting a program that was already there. Um, and we were really lucky to have some, some forward-leaning leadership as we go through there. And so, yeah, that was I think that meeting was in the fall of two thousand. Seventeen is when we had our pitch with with uh, General Paula Calfee, I think so. And then we started working with them, maybe, maybe it was spring. And then we started, and then we started working with 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 Ryan and, and Dave Shahadi and and some other folks. And then our first ever open topic was in 2018. It was 18.2. And actually, the funny thing is, is we originally thought that we were going to be doing like six different. We did do six different topics. We had like one just around carrier UEs. One was around precision navigation and timing. And then we just thought like randomly to throw in this open topic one. I'd heard about it in the UK, but we couldn't find a contracting officer until the very end. And that's when and Manreza from RapidX, who happened to work for, for, for AppWorks, decided to help us do the first, area, uh, agreed to be the, the contracting officer from the open topic. But we were probably 45 minutes away from canceling the open topic during that first round of just doing the kind of more. What we would call them now would be the more like pitch day specific topic type things. So I guess three things. First, one would be steal ideas from others. The second thing is don't create wholly new things, try to pivot what is already there because there's plenty of great programs out there that you can, that they could, they, could, they would just love more effort going into them. The last thing is just get lucky.
0: Yeah. So, uh, talk to me a little bit about how different the SBIR topic was prior to the open topic being part of the SBIR program. Because when I think of how the open topic is managed and I think about how SBIRs are traditionally managed, they're, they're quite different. So can you talk to us a little bit about, you know, what, what changes there were and specifically how do you work through, you know, it, it seems to me as if it's a, a fairly large change,
1: correct? So it seems like a very large change Now, right. I think the answer is, is, is is start small and then scale fast with things that work. Right. So once again, going back to the credit of AFRL and and, and the FBI office back in the day, Dave Shady and Ryan Hellbach said, all right, here's, here's a small amount of money that you can do whatever you want with these kind of like special topics, as long as you can, as long as they're still meeting all of the regulatory and statutory things that you're going through there. Um. And so what I would say is in the beginning it actually wasn't that much different. We did the, we, we used the exact same we used the exact same format, we used the exact same solicitation, we did all of the exact same types of contracts. We just changed the variables that were there, right? So we changed the amount of money, we changed the we changed the timeline, we changed the description, but they all felt just in the in the same one there. And actually, when we first submitted in, we we took guesses on the most, on how many applications we were going to get. Because somebody had told us beforehand, you know, we tried to do an open, like a blue sky topic before, and it just didn't work. We got fewer applications, so we didn't do it again. I said, okay, well, so we didn't, there wasn't a large expectation there. But then we ended up, you know, getting almost three times the record number of applications that had ever been submitted to any similar topic in the history of the Air Force. Our first go, and so we go, ah, oh, I guess there's something there. So the first thing would be, that we got a lot of market traction from that. To so find ways to to battle test your ideas as soon as possible, right? To ours was like, well, is this something that like people are going to actually want to apply to? And we didn't. It wasn't just number of applications. It was also quality. It was also you know how many non-traditional companies were doing this. So we had all these measures. It was helpful because in the very beginning we had those measures, and every time we make a change, we'd actually move forward from there. But honestly, like what it really came down to is that. In my, in my PhD, I'd studied, I worked for the engineering Systems division at MIT, which, which is now a, a different program. And I done a lot of research on SBIR and the, the program has been around, 1982. And I know, I mean, I'm, there, has been, it, it's been a, a, by many accounts, a, a big success over the course of the history of its program. If you look back to the original intent of it, it's really trying to uh, bring these, 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 these small business, to be able to do like real hard technical research, but it's a commercialization program from the very beginning right? You don't want it. It was not originally designed just for companies to, to make something and then it would go just into the DOD. We wanted these companies to turn into these big success stories, right? So, I mean, right now I'm sitting in, in Cambridge, Massachusetts and, and iRobot is one of the bigger bigger successes out of there. And they started off doing defense work and now... You know, the Roomba cleans up the dog hair in my, in my house. And I'm sure if Austin listens to this, she'll think about her huskies and it's probably cleaning up the dog hair in her house too. So yeah, it really came down to look at the programs that are already there that are really, truly great and legendary programs. SDIR program is one of the kind in the world, right? I mean, it's been copied around Europe and I think there's a program in Japan. I know there's one of the Netherlands while the I was there. And just look for ways where like maybe they, some of the original founder mentality is left in the programs. And try to find ways to kind of reinvigorate them. that are already there. That's good. You're gonna get a lot more bang for your buck than going and trying to create something from scratch. I mean, I'm, I'm you know, certainly, from my perspective, the amount of, of, impact and progress we had using the SBIR program, which was pivoting something that already existed rather than you know, fine tuning, maybe even better than pivoting was, would be the right answer to it would be, was, was far more effective than the Herculean effort it took us to get the first accelerator program off the ground. Right. So. That would be one of my big recommendations, really go do that. How is it fundamentally different? I think, I think what came down to, to, to me was, what was a couple of things. One is that we really wanted it to be, I know there's, there's, there's consternation around it being, but we wanted it to be a, a, an easy first step for companies to work with the DOD, right? I mean. And 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 I I still think that while well, I have lots of problems getting getting some of these phase ones, you're in some of the direct to phase two appworks contracts and then the open topic is still probably one of the easiest ways to get a DOD contract. Now, does that does that solve all the problems? Is the panacea? Absolutely not. However, there are lots of reasons on a on an acquisition side where once a company is on a contract or has has as one SBR award, it allows the communication to open up so much more between the company and the government that you can go forward there. And so I always thought of it as kind of a hunting license. Once you got in the door, now it started making the barrier to entry for all these small companies a lot lower because now instead of having to do everything, you, you can actually talk with them, right? Which is which you couldn't do before. So that'll be point number one. The second thing is we really, really tried to make it a competition for resources inside and outside the government. One of the big issues that i that i that I'd see is that sometimes uh, it, it, it's generally really, really challenging to allocate resources for innovation ahead of time, especially within you know the you know the 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 FIDAP or in the palm or or even within the you know the the uh, the yearly budget cycles with the appropriations. And so we tried to use the SBR funds, which is a which is the incredibly flexible source of funding, um not only to be competition for the companies that we're working in, but we wanted the government customers to compete for who could be the best customer, who, sorry, who could, best, yeah, who could be the best customer to work with these companies. Because oftentimes the DOD had, been, had proven to be a very poor customer and they were actually doing more harm to these companies, even when they were on contract than good. And so we wanted to try to find a way that, what is the way that you can incentivize these companies to be able to incentivize the government folks to work more, to actually be better customers. And too often that really come down to matching funds, right? We basically said, listen, look, if you're going to come and you're going to waste all their time, and we're not going to give you as, there's not going to be as many funds for you. And if you're going to come and you're just going to do science projects on the shelf and never actually cross, uh, you know, have a potential of crossing the valley of death, you're not seriously looking at palming for these things, then, then you're also going to get fewer resources, right? In the same way that we have commercialization scores for the small businesses we are working with it, we wanted to make sure that we were looking at the government customers, saying, hey, are these guys having good transitions or not? That would be the second thing. So point number one is the first, the front door. Point number two would be competition for resources inside and outside the government. And the point number three is really trying to create create a pathway across that, that valley of death, right? The, 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 the fact of the matter is, is that you know, the two, three, four, even $5 million SBIO, SBIR awards just are not enough to actually get some of these products across the valley of death. I mean, today, if you're looking at great engineers, you're going to fully burden, they're going to be. Yeah, you know, three. Yeah, you know, give me the I mean, three three hundred thousand bucks in two or three hundred thousand bucks a head. them some even more if you want them to really great. You know, AI ML type folks. Um, you need more than a year or two to be able to get them across. You need to hire these folks and get them across the line. And so what we wanted to do is is we wanted to create some sort of you know process where you have enough money where you could. Be able to sustain a team of, of highly talented technical folks, such that they could get across the palm cycle, if they would have a chance to to make it into a program record and have some sort of recurring revenue. Um, so that was the attempt behind Stratfly, and you know, kudos to the folks in the Pentagon and in the SDA and on the Hill and the, and all the advocacy groups that you know helped re- help refine the ideas as we went through there. But it was really the ideas, whereas if we could all come together, could we create this bridge across the Valley of Death? Then uh, to me, that was the that was the most important thing we did was to get those large contracts that in, included SBiro money, included government money, and included private sector money to help bridge these these great technologies across the valley of death. And I don't know, I mean, the, the, they're still they're still in the early days, so I don't know if that has closed down yet. I've, I've seen some early promises from some of these things crossing the valley of death, but that's the area where I think is still the most work that needs to be done is right
0: there on kind of the output of the strap well, that's awesome how many companies uh do you think the open topic has awarded approximately and how much money do you think has has flowed through that program.
1: So we started once again, starting small and scaling We started off with just a couple million dollars across a whole bunch of awards. I no longer know what the what the numbers are inside of the government. You know, I'm, I'm on the outside now. So my guess is that there would be hundreds of millions of dollars per year that would be going through the open topic, and allow what that what that translates to is hundreds, to, you know, about more than a thousand new small businesses being able to work with the DoD every year, and as well as a couple dozen of the best projects and best solutions that have the best chance of actually solving a warfighter need and transitioning to the commercial sector, having a, having a scaffold bridge built across the valley of death, such that they can compete. They can compete to get those palm dollars into the fight up. And so that's that's, that's kind of what I see there. So probably total funds through it. You're probably looking between 250 million and $1 billion that have gone through that, but you're also impacting thousands. Thousands of new companies I and mean, I think the first one was two thousand and eighteen we're so four years now, so I'll bet you there's four to seven thousand new companies that have gone through that process, and I'll bet you there are close to a hundred projects that have a, a a good probability of crossing the valley of death
0: to recurring revenue or long term recurring revenue or a program
1: record that you go
0: through there wow that's it's it's incredible to think that you know at squadron officer school, a group of you know junior officers put together a plan and that's now turned into crossing its own innovation valley of death into what sort of a sustained program, you know, for sure that's, that's definitely the exception. I don't think it's probably very common that that happens. What do you think it is that makes innovation so hard for large organizations like the government? Well, I'll start off by saying, I think, I think innovation is hard for large and small
1: organizations, right? So I think that, you know, my experience working in it, large organizations and at large businesses and at universities and at you know, f r d c s and having run now multiple startups, is it's just always hard, right? I think people, I think people put the startup or Silicon Valley kind of on this pedestal is somehow this like, you know, much better model for, for working out and for certain things that, you know, has, has worked out great for some of these kind of power law type things that have, you know, exponential returns, but most startups fail, right? And it's really hard, right? And so, you know, and most innovation efforts fail. And honestly, they should, right? I mean, it, it, it's tough. And if everything survived, then, then nothing would be able to actually grow right? So you I mean an analogy you can think about is if, you know, you have a forest full of things where, you know, every seed that fell on the ground tried to turn into a tree, there just wouldn't be enough nutrients and no trees would actually grow into big giant redwood type trees or whatever it looks like, right? So first off, I would just say is like, expect most things to fail. And so if you expect most things to fail, then the rational approach to going after that would be to decrease the cost of failure early on, right? And so that's why, I mean, we started, we started with the accelerator and then we tried, Six different open topic or six different special topics. And then we had tried a couple other, we tried actually a bunch of other things in app works. And a lot of things didn't work out. And you don't hear a lot of things that Steve that and Austin and I and Joey and everybody else, uh, and you, Rob, you don't hear a lot of the other things. That were sorry, you, you're, I'm talking to you, and I left you out of the story at the beginning all along. I'm so sorry, but uh, I kind of assumed we were talking. I, I I left you out of there, so. But no, most things should fail, and when you're doing that, what you have to really think about is just decrease the cost of that. And most people don't hear about all those failure stories, but you know, we probably people know about the you know one or two things that we did, but they don't know about the probably 30 other smaller things we tried that didn't work out. That's okay, right? And so you just have to like, I think the number one thing is be willing to put work in, knowing that it most likely is going to turn into nothing, right? And then just, it, it just, if you kind of just plan for that, and it just also means that you try lots of little things, are careful not instrumenting what things you are doing so that you know which things to double down your time and effort and money on as you go through there. Because in the beginning, you just have, you, it, it's so hard to know as exactly what's going to work or not. That's kind of the open topic model a little bit, where if you have a lot of small bets, You don't know which ones are gonna be really great. So just let them all in. And I think it's disingenuous to believe that even with the most rigorous evaluation system, I think there's, there's actually a bunch of really interesting reports about like the effectiveness of different grant programs and different contract programs that show that sometimes they're not a lot better than random as they're going through there. But they are better than random when you think about how they get scaled through there. The main thing is just be prepared for failure, decrease the cost of failure if you can, and then try lots of different things. Make sure to instrument them so you know if they're working. And as soon as you find one that was working way
0: better than you expected, drop everything else and pour all of your time into it. Oh, that's great! Talk to the listeners about the most difficult thing you had to overcome to to make you know this particular innovation effort, the open topic, successful.
1: I mean, it's always going to come down to the people, right? So I think that. uh, The most difficult thing probably was in the beginning was keeping the morale of our very small team, you know, the three or four or seven of us, we were all just random volunteers. So picking the right team from the very beginning was certainly the most important thing, but then as you went along, I mean, when you're making any sort of change, any change, any change you make, there will be winners and losers. Right. Even if 90% of the people that are involved in the system benefit from it, those 10% of the folks lose, lose from that change are gonna be very, very frustrated. There can be a tendency when you're trying new things to think that the old ways were all bad, right? Or to think that the people who are, are focused on kind of the status quo are, you know, they're just missing the point or whatever. But I actually think some of our some of our staunchest, you know, some of the staunchest kind of opponents to what we were doing with the Open Topic and AppWorks really, really did the most at helping us understand different perspectives It actually really forced us to make some changes to the program that I think it made it a lot better. Right. And so we sat down and we had some incredibly uncomfortable and difficult conversations with folks both inside and outside government who really, really did not like what we were doing. Right. And you, you can find a lot of things going through there, But I'll tell you that was, those are some of the most valuable discussions you have. Right. Cause you spend all of your time, right. I mean, so yeah, I'm going to go to a, I'm going to go to a meeting where I'm sitting down with the, you know, the Naval X folks, the Army Futures Command, the DIU folks and the Kessel Run folks and all the other places. We're just going to talk and we're always going to be preaching to the choir. It's going to be so fun you know, and, but you really want to go sit down and spend time with, you know, with the folks who maybe have, have, won a large number of traditional SBIR contracts and understand why that's a really valuable part of the ecosystem as you're going through there, right? Understand, okay, here's the exact way that we're helping the warfighter. Here's the exact way that we actually go transition things as you go through there. And so, you know, I remember spending some time with with the with with I think the original found one of the original founding members of the of the small business technology consortium, Fbtc I can't remember what the C stands for, who, who, you know, we 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 saw we saw the the changes in quite a bit, quite a bit of a different way, but we spent hours and hours and hours and hours talking together. And it really, really helped us refine over the from our first round in 2018 until we got to 2020. A lot of things that ended up being there. I think those were incredibly important to spend time with the people who really don't like what you're doing, have those uncomfortable conversations. You may not end up agreeing on all the points there, but I think it's really, really important not to assume that everything that was done in the past is bad and every every change is good and moving into the future. And you know, basically spend time
0: with your skeptics. Awesome. So I got two two more questions for you. The the second to last one. What recommendations would you, you know, if you could go back in time and give yourself advice? You know, (laughs) you've listed a couple of things here. So I think target rich environment for sure. But if you can go back in time, you know, that first year or two, you know, what what advice would you give yourself? I think the main
1: thing is is it would be it it still gotta go back to probably probably two big things. One is Really double down on building the relationships of the people both within your near-term team and with the relationships of everybody in the associated organization. You know, that is going to pay dividends. Don't burn bridges. Try to build as many of those relationships as you can as, pos- as possible. Now I'll, 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 I'll realize here that I had the very, very fortunate luck of being able to work with Steve Waver, who's still, who's still at AppWorks. And everybody loves Steve Waver, And I tend to be a little more... I'm less likable than Steve. And so I was very, very lucky that we were able to be working together on those things. And so make sure when you're picking your team to pick people not just you enjoy work with, but are very complementary in skill sets. Right. So I love just diving deep into acquisition policy and statute. Right. At night, I'm all get up at, you know, four o'clock in the morning. I'm like, oh yeah, let's go, let's go dig in at 15 US Code 638. It'll be fun. Right. I'll have a cup of coffee. This will be great. That is, that is not what Steve loves to do. But at the same time, when you, if, 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 if you spend any time with Steve, you'll walk out and you'll probably want to be his best friend. And so make sure you're picking those people really, really wisely and going on. The second thing is just, just really like plan for it to be. A lot more difficult and take a lot longer than you actually think. And so make sure that what you're doing you actually really care about kind of intrinsically. One of the things that really surprised me, for better or for worse, and maybe it shouldn't have surprised me, was I you know, I felt like we did a lot of work and, and moved a lot of moved a lot of things around and made a lot of progress to the Air Force. I ended up actually being like pretty bad for my career, like within the Air Force, I think actually, which is ironic. And so and Rob, you might have had a similar kind of experience. But what it was was really, really useful. But I, but I was, it was it was like what I, what my core, what I really wanted to do was, was to work on these things. So don't work on things that you don't think are intrinsically important because the extrinsic stuff will never be as good as you think it is. So yeah. But I guess, I guess three things. Point one is I, I cannot, there's nothing more important than picking the right people to do it with. It's going to be too hard to do it yourself. You need to have somebody who you enjoy spending time with and that, like, you know, whatever it is. Point number two, it's going to be a lot harder and a lot longer than you think. So just set your mindset for it. And then point number three, you got to be doing it for the intrinsic motivation, especially if you're going to do it inside the government, because the extrinsic stuff, the external stuff more likely than not will, will not come. And if it does come, then it's going to be less, you know, it it won't be, it'll be like a mirage. If you want, once you get there, you always be wanting more.
0: That's awesome. So the last question for you, it's been a pleasure and honor having you on the show and you're, you're one of our, you know, first early guests. And the last question I have for you is why should listeners keep listening to the podcast? Oh, well, I I think that one of my favorite
1: sayings is don't manage your time, manage your motivation. Right. And so I think that when I, when I was when I was in grad school at MIT, we used to teach a class called the Founder's Journey. And I still teaching it with, a, with a, a brilliant guy named Ken Zola and with a whole bunch of local venture capitalists around the Cambridge area. And I tend to agree with the idea that entrepreneurship can't really be taught. And innovation can't really be taught. I mean, you can, you can learn tips and tricks and, but you really kind of have to go learn it by, by suffering. Right. And, and Rob, you just, you just started at your own company. I'm sure there's, and you see, by the way, you started a very successful organization inside the air force as well. So you kind of have to go through that. Um, well, I think what I when I when I think be valuable for these kind of things is just getting the like the motivation and uh, you know getting hearing the story is always to me is very motivational and kind of gets me up. And says, oh, okay, you know, like uh, you know it, it, it can be done, and you know if you yourself that you know pick yourself up and, and and keep going. So that's why I would do it, right? So we, we used to bring in founders, all they would do is just tell their stories. Right. Here's what we did. And here's my perspective on it. Right. Every founder, or every, every innovator does it differently. There is no kind of magic formula. Otherwise somebody would have, you know, we could write AI and it would just do it. In fact, that's probably somebody's idea to do that, but, but manage your motivation. Don't manage your time. And if you're motivated, then you'll naturally wake up and early in the morning, you're staying up at late and it won't feel like such a drudge. And you'll just start doing that. And, and I can't think of, you know, many more inspiring folks. If you're in this kind of defense innovation, dual use space than Rob and the kind of folks these are bringing on here. So hopefully, hopefully those folks can help you on and I'm really hoping you. Rob could bring on a lot of the other folks helped, help uh, get Afworks going. I think there's a lot, a lot of other folks, who, who really deserve a lot more of the credit for, for starting these things. I mean, I think, I think you said you had Jake Singleton on. I think you're gonna have Austin on. Hopefully you can get Steve on. I mean, I gotta get, gotta get beam and Dave Harden and, and a whole bunch of other folks on. So you can hear a lot of those stories as well.
0: Absolutely. So I, you know, like you said, it's a pleasure and an honor, Chris, you know, I admire, admired you since the, the day we, we met and I look forward to seeing your career continue to thrive as you continue to innovate in the dual use community. Yeah. Thank you so much and, and happy to be on here. Yeah, Awesome. This is your host Rob Slaughter. Thanks for listening to Defense Unicorns, a podcast. We have amazing guests coming the next couple of episodes. So subscribe now so you get notified when we release new content.